0: I think the frogs really like this rain. Soft, cleansing, cooling. So Joanna and I will say a few words, each of us, about going home, or going away, put it that way. Uh, And then we'll have some time for reflections. Um, I want to just say, uh, going home, to uh, sit every day, take the Dharma with you home, take a grounding in mindfulness home with you, keep it alive, keep it alive with sitting, my dear friend and teacher Joseph Goldstein says, I have three things to tell you, sit, sit, sit. <laughs> That's actually, you know, what you say to a Buddhist dog, <laughs> sit. Um And it doesn't, you know, you can bring mindfulness into your life not just with this one session of a half hour or 40 minutes in the morning or in the evening. Although that's really, you know, I find it's really important if I'm going to keep that, the essence, that mindful essence alive, I have to sit every day. And I've recently, after doing a retreat in February, in March I've been uh, sitting twice a day. Sitting again uh, at about five o'clock and it's a really wonderful practice because it sort of separates the the day from the evening and it it just restores that sense of calm and centeredness and connected to the body. It's really uh, a wonderful practice. But I was going to say that you can also bring it into your life uh, in the little moments that you have uh, when you get into your car sit there for a minute before you turn it on two or three or four breaths and your experience with, of, of driving is going to be very different I'm not saying you won't have any road rage but you might uh, you know, have a different sense uh, when you're walking from your car to where you're going walking. I mean, we didn't do a lot of walking practice, but the, um, you know, be present with where you are, with the steps you're taking on the earth. That's what Thich Nhat Hanh, I think, says the, the real miracle is walking on the earth and to know you're walking on the earth. So there are all these opportunities and so find some, you know, and, and make them little little bookmarks in your day where you you come back to the body and the breath and the sensations and you feel your heart, you feel your good intentions or you know, reflect on them and uh, then continue. It really is a life-altering practice. There's a wonderful poem by a great uh, old beatnik poet, uh, Lou Welch, who once said uh, the, the great Little story. Uh, Gary Snyder tells a story. They were camping once in the redwoods and uh, Gary Snyder said, oh, these redwoods, uh, do you think they're they're, they're looking at us humans and thinking, well, they're just passing through, aren't they? And uh, Lou Welch said, yeah, and the rocks are looking at the trees and saying, you know, they're just passing through, aren't they? (laughs) Um, Anyway, this is a little poem by Lou Welch. It's called uh, A sentence to drive yourself sane. The next time you are doing something absolutely ordinary, or better yet, absolutely necessary like peeing, washing the dishes, cleaning your room, say to yourself, so it's all come to this. Anyway, I think I've, I think I've, I've just about, uh, I mean, you know what to do. You know what to do. I want to read you a poem I wrote called Why I Meditate. This is uh, in homage to Allen Ginsberg, who also wrote, wrote a, s- a similar poem, but much better poem. <laughs> Why I Meditate. I meditate because I suffer. I suffer, therefore I am. I am, therefore I meditate. I meditate because there are too many other things to do. I meditate because when I was younger, it was all the rage. I meditate because of Siddhartha Gautama, Bodhidharma, Marco Polo, the British Raj, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, Jack Kerouac, Alfred E. Newman. At all. I meditate because evolution gave me a big brain, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. I meditate because I have all the information I need. I meditate because I want to touch into deep time, where the history of humanity can be seen as just an evolutionary adjustment period. I meditate because life is too short. And sitting slows it down. I meditate because life is too long and I need an occasional break. (laughs) I meditate because I want to experience the world as Rumi did or Walt Whitman or as Mary Oliver does. I meditate because I now know that enlightenment doesn't exist so I can relax. I meditate because of the Dalai Lama's laugh. I meditate because there are too many advertisements in my head and I'm erasing all but the very best of them. (laughs) Sometimes I meditate because my heart is breaking. Sometimes I meditate so that my heart will break. I meditate because I'm composed of a hundred trillion cells and from time to time I need to reassure them that we're all in this together. (laughs) I meditate because my country spends more money on weapons than all other nations in the world combined. If I had more courage, I'd emulate myself. I meditate because I'm growing older and want to become more comfortable with emptiness.
1: <laughs> In a list world, but so I. Are you, is your mic on? Oh, wait a minute, I forgot it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel very full with the knowledge of what you have brought. My world is richer for knowing that you're in it. Each of you has come a long way. It's been good to be together. We've been round the spiral. That's good. We started with gratitude, and we end up with gratitude. Don't forget to praise. We're actually made for that. We all brought pain with us for our world. I'm awed by how much you know and hold of what is happening to other beings, to other cultures, to other languages, to the forest, to the trees, to the living body of earth, to the hopes of our ancestors. And we befriended that pain here. And knowing, knowing that you kind of bowed to the pain So you continue to do that, continue to see through it, as evidence, evidence of the pulse of of life. That you are alive, you see you are alive. You are alive. The tears show that and the rage shows that. And even the fear. So, like good Shambhala warriors, you're not going to be afraid of the suffering of your world. And that opens up the floodgates of so much to pour through you. Tears, laughter, same thing. Love, mourning, same thing. You see, the world is, is working to heal itself. That's what life does. And it needs each of us. It needs our hands and our eyes. So we become available. I love it. I just loved it last night, listening to the You know, when we were networking, all that you're doing, and when I thought, ha, <laughs> these my people. <laughs> yeah. Even if you just sit home and stare at the ads and the drag, it's there for your world. It doesn't matter so much what you do. You got that yesterday, I think. It's just you hang in there. Mm. Letting the world see through your eyes—that's what my friend John Seed said at one point. He just loves the despair work. <laughs> oh, we ho, ho. He, he heard about the truth model, He started doing it. I said, John, you haven't—I haven't listened to you. Don't know how to do it. You're just doing it already. <laughs> and he said, I've got to keep. I've got to keep doing it. It's like a roto-rooter in my psyche. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he says, and I, that lets me, so I empty out so that I can, what I see, I'm seeing it for the earth. Because when the earth wakes up to what's happening, it won't put up with it. <laughs> so we have to see. You get what I mean, don't you? Just. Yeah. Yeah. So we. Learn to see uh, with new eyes and seeing each other, seeing each other as, as well as ourselves as warriors, earth warriors. We saw how the deep time that we're part of this huge journey. You can't draw a line where you began, dearies. You can't say you began with your birth. You can't say you began with your grandparents. You just go way, way back. And you can't say where you end. How easy was it not yesterday to be the future listening? That's because, and I like to remember to say this when I'm uh, leading this seventh generation. I forgot, so I'll tell you now my teacher I have so many teachers (laughs) you're my teachers Um, but it's uh, Sister Rosalie Bertel a Roman Catholic sister who's a radiologist and she has studied the effects of ionizing radiation in the vicinities of power plants and weapons facilities and uh, she says every being who will ever live is alive now where? In your ovaries and in your gonads and in your DNA. And our relation to the future, so that's, for, that's what she said, now I'm saying. Oh, our relation to the future has been changed by our technology. In a hurry out of pressures of time or expediency or bureaucracy we are pushed to make decisions that thanks to our technology the karma or the consequences of our actions reach out through geological time periods, literally forever. And it can happen so quick and last for so long. So we're at this cusp of our journey where we really take that seriously and joyfully into our beings. That they're all with us now. The future ones. And the ancestors. Because the ancestors know that we're in this. As things are really dicey now. But the thing about being alive in the present is that this is the only place you can make choices. It's the only place you make decisions. The future ones can't do that for us and the ancestors can't do it. We do. So we have to really help each other shape up, make the right decisions. And the future ones and the ancestors really want to help us. Did you feel, Can you feel them wanting to help you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can feel them in the ancestor walk. They want to whisper in our ears. They want to throw an arm around our shoulders. They want to say, honey, we're with you. You're not as alone as you think by a long shot. Mm -hmm. Same with the future ones. They want to whisper in our ears. Or they they could feel them anywhere in your anatomy, actually, because they're in the DNA that goes through. Isn't that not so?
0: Uh, is it not so,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, so we've been this journey together of remembering all that's here with us and all that's working with us, yeah, and I just want to say that uh the loneliness, we're going to feel it when we go back because we've had a quality of connection here that's so sweet uh, I know you feel it because I feel it and so you can go back and even the people your neighbors, your family members mm. so that loneliness <laughs> but this is now again, this is, I'm going to say something really wise now. <laughs> listen up. Listen up. <laughs> you can uh, befriend that loneliness. Arts, use it. Use your lonely feelings. because everybody's lonely. This is a very lonely society. And you can use the loneliness to build a bridge to all the others. It will be terrible. You wouldn't be much use if you didn't have a clue what it was to be lonely. Loneliness serves your understanding and your compassion and your wits and your creativity for working in this time. And you also several of you were talking about feeling that you can't really share your uh, concerns about the world in your communities, in your home, places where you're working, where you're living, that you think seems you're the only one who cares. And, you know, frankly, that's a lot of hooey. Because people do care. The thing is, we can share our um, if you're loving people a lot, then it's okay in a way that they uh, don't agree with you. That's saying a lot, because. Uh, but what, I, what I'm trying to say, wait a minute, I'm trying to say that we are here in this time to connect with each other, not to be right. Mm-hmm. We're here in this time. To for the healing of our world, and the world will not be healed by your winning an argument. So just questions. When uh, Parsifal... <laughs> When Parsifal, the knight of the King Arthur's round table, uh, was out on a quest, he got lost. And he found himself in a wasteland. It was in Western culture. This was the legend of the Holy Grail, the last legend to come up in our culture uh, about the time of the Crusades. And he... That's where the term wasteland comes from, where Parsifal found himself in this place where nothing grew, and uh, and then he found his way to the castle of the Fisher King, and the Fisher King himself was wounded in the groin, as they said, had lost, was in great pain, and had, like the land, lost the powers of regeneration, and. A great feast was put on, was, uh, rituals were held. It was sumptuous and it was beautiful. And no one mentioned the suffering of the king or the barrenness of the land because they were under a spell. The only person who could break the spell was someone who asked its cause was asked, there was a phrase that somebody used to ask, what ails you? What's the matter? But Parsifal was brought up to think that it was rude to ask questions. So he didn't. And the next morning, the whole castle disappeared. And he had to find his way home. When he got back to King Arthur's castle, he felt that he had failed somehow. Here was a land suffering, but everyone was walking around on automatic, robot-like, as if everything were all right. Nobody was daring to mention the suffering. And into the court rode Kundri, a witch, very smart and very scary looking. With fangs like a boar, but she, in gorgeous clothes, at any rate, she excoriated Parsifal in front of everybody. She said, "You call yourself a knight." Oh, what kind of bravery is that? You find yourself in the wasteland, and you don't even ask how people feel about it. So he knew he had to go back. And the way back was long and adventurous and I wish I had time to tell you, but I'm going to tell you just this. that He found his way back. It was the same as before. Fisher King, when he came in there, and he was on his royal hammock, but the, it even, there was even a stench to his suffering. and there was. But there they were, everybody walking around as if it were on automatic. Business as usual. And Parsifal walked straight to the king, knelt before him and said, my lord, what aileth thee? What's the matter? How do you feel? And that question of compassion broke the spell. And color came to the king's cheeks, it is said, and he rose from his royal bed, healed. The land outside was blooming. The spell had been broken by that act of compassion. Here is someone in a land under a spell, a culture under a spell, acting as if business is usual. This is normal. I love that story, and we, and, and over the years, have actually developed a Parsifal exercise. where We go out on the street. We don't ask people what aileth they <laughs> <laughs> no. But we say, <clears throat> excuse me, laundromats are good, bus stations, I'm doing a survey. Do you mind I'm doing a survey? What do you consider is the greatest problem right now in the world? How do you feel about it, and so forth? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Uh, so you don't need to win an argument. You need to uh, befriend people, and and you can share share your pain. You know, I'm feeling really at a loss about what's happening to Medicare. Or they want to take Social Security, you know, or whatever. You can do it in a way that's just saying, you know, I uh, my I broke my arm and it's taking too long to heal, or something like that just deliver yourself from having to uh, persuade, but more accompany. We accompany each other. So I'm going to close. I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but it wasn't a tangent, was it? Um, I just want to quote something one of you said that relates to this, um, I hope I can read it without crying, But that's okay, isn't it? Um, We befriend each other. You know, the tea party's full of very lonely people. Okay. This is by one of us (coughs) after the Truth Mandala. The pain that I shared in the Truth Mandala uh, for My Friend and Me. And then she's like that. You are each a part of that net too. Each person who said, I hear you, took some of the weight off of me. Each person who said, it was okay for me to feel this anger and sadness, confusion. Each person who affirmed that I was speaking truth created that net for me. And that created that net also for my friend. I am honored to be in community with people who create these nets of connection. Oh, honey, you do it so well. Every wound, every hurt that you allowed to happen in your life serves now. All of us were wounded healers. Okay. So uh, the deep time and the gratitude this is a poem I love to read at the end by a friend of mine who's a poet from Milwaukee, Sousa Silver Marie. And it helps us not be in a hurry. Because although we have to move fast to do this action or meet that need, we also, in another sense, have all the time in the world. It's called A Thousand Years of Healing. That's what we're up to, you know. The seeds, the seeds for our global distress uh, have roots that go a long way back. It takes that long for the healing. From whence my hope I cannot say, except it grows in the cells of my skin, in my envelope of mysteries it hums, in this sheath so akin to the surface of the earth, it whispers beneath the wailing and dissonance in the world hope's song grows until I know that with this turning we put a broken age to rest we who are alive at such a cusp now usher in one thousand years of healing Winged ones and four-leggeds, grasses and mountains and each tree, all the swimming creatures, even we, weary two-leggeds, hum and call and create the changing song. We remake our relations. We convert our minds to the earth. In this turning time, We finally learn to chime and blend, attune our voices, sing the vision of the great magic we move within. We begin the new habit, getting up glad for a thousand years of healing. We begin the new habit, getting up glad for a thousand years of healing. Yep, for that.
0: Beautiful. What's your name?
1: Susan Silver You want a copy? Oh, it's on my website. Oh, by the way, my website, joannamacy.net. It has West. new practices on it <laughs> that are in addition to the work that reconnects practices that we did and that are in my book on it, which is called Coming Back to Life
0: westnisker.com say it again westnisker.com <laughs> so um, we invite uh, we have some time we, we want to leave some time at the end for the dance uh, so
1: we're going to close with the elm dance
0: the, the elm dance not, elm. Not, not wild and crazy dancing um uh, but we do have a little bit of time for some reflections from you. Um, we, don't, we, we, ref- we don't want any praise. We, all, we know how great we are. <laughs> and so uh, just limit your reflections to the retreat, what you might have learned, what you feel excited about, or what your heart is telling you right now. What you want to share? Oh, runners, yes.
1: Oh, dear. Did we get a battery for the.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Thank you, Beth.
2: This retreat. Has been a huge gift to me, um, because in the past I've read, I've heard, I've you know been to daylongs, etc. and people talk about. <clears throat> um, oh, geez, I just lost what I was going to say. I oh, talk about being part of everything, and that, and that we are one with it all. And I think I always have kind of thought, well, yeah, kind of intellectually, yeah, 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 well. <laughs> but now I really get it. And it's just been a huge, huge perceptual shift for me that I just value so much, um, to feel that connection with everyone, everything, the past, the future, it's a huge shift. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate the um, all the words and the explanations, the poetry, the integrating it through the body and moving. Every piece of it has just kind of Brought my understanding into almost like a cellular level of knowing. Thank you.
0: Mm, Beautiful.
2: Uh, After being here, uh, when I was at home, a lot of times I would hear the news and I would think, you know, some awful thing going on, and I'd go... (laughs) This, this isn't my issue. You know, I'm already overtaxed with what I've already got. But being here, it's all my issue.
3: As we're going home now, I start thinking about the work that I do for money. And um, some of it, some of it's very rewarding, and others of it is... Um, Contributing to the Industrial Growth Society because I encourage people in my way to be dissatisfied with their homes. Um, and to speak into it. I encourage to people what? to be dissatisfied with their homes. I'm an architect and a designer, so it's, oh. Oh. it's good if somebody wants to change something. And, and sometimes sometimes it's fine because we are all on the same page about the materials we'll use or reusing things. and But other times I I can't choose my clients and other times they just care more about spending a lot of money and throwing something out that's perfectly usable. and And so the other part of what I do is actually I work on restaurants and I love that work because it builds community and it's about food and but then I, I I get this other work. So anyway, any wisdom as to what to do <laughs> when faced with <laughs> um, when when what you be, what when what you believe in um, is at odds with what you have to do to sort of live. Uh, I had a asked
1: a carpenter to come in. Am I on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to. Uh, some time back to uh, fix something in the bedroom of the bed. And uh, he was a wonderful Japanese carpenter. He looked like something out of a... He had a zen quality. At any anyway, rate, but he's very good. And so I explained, and he looked at this, and he said, You know, if you order me, I'll do it, but you don't need it. <laughs> you, this is... So uh, I suppose you could, and I, just, I think of him all the time, sending blessings to him. Uh, the, you could, I suppose, begin to ask questions. About, have you thought about... You have to be careful because you don't want to lose your job. But you can transform the job into helping people uh, satisfy more parts of their being. Asking questions, posing it that way.
4: I'm going to call it myself. Um, I just want to say that I, I feel like I'm holding the, um, the ways that I've connected with people through the Truth Mandala and through the eye contact and the um, milling and different things and just hearing people's like truth. And having that be held in silence, in respectful, noble silence and shifting now into regular conversation and um, I just want to like name just in case anyone else is feeling it too that sort of uh, um, just that adjustment being maybe a little rocky and just to say that I'm going to do my best to kind of hold both worlds like the way we normally relate with sort of deeper knowing of each other and um, to say it out loud, maybe will help me actually do it. So, if anyone else is feeling that way, like we're not freaks or alone, it's just it's just part of the um, truth about knowing people deeply and then moving back into our habitual way of communicating. So, thank you for hearing that. Yeah,
5: I wanted to tell a story and then read a haiku. <laughs> The story, for me, is about community and how important sangha is. Um, Wes rightly said, you know, to keep meditating daily, and I, I, I—that's part of the haiku. But when I was in school, I had a wonderful teacher by the name of Margot Okazawa Ray, and her specialty is looking at the impact of militarism on women in the area of military bases, especially in other countries and here rape, war marriages, and prostitution. And she goes back to the early feminist days. She's a African American um, lesbian, and she was part of something called the Combahee River Collective that published an important document at the beginning of the women's movement. And she was teach I was in her class in maybe 98, so that goes a long ways. She assigned us to go to the Critical Resistance founding conference, which was... Uh, uh, Angela Davis worked on with some students from Santa Cruz, and they built a network on criminal justice, and it still exists. And when we got back, she said it makes me know I'm not crazy. And the fact that a woman of such stature and with all this research and support around the world needed to go somewhere to know that she wasn't crazy made it okay for me to need that community. So I just want to encourage us to keep connected to sanghas, both with each other and where we live. I vow to deepen Om practice meditation benefit all beings.
0: Um, I want to just I just got a note uh, about a Zafu missing Zafu blue and black it was right here Somebody it says, Dharma it. says Dharma Crafts on it. Did somebody mistakenly grab it? Okay, sorry. Just wanted to get that in. That's it. Okay, we're all right.
6: There are uh, so many treasures I'll take home, but um, the little tangent, quote unquote, that you just went on is one of. I've been sitting with this. Deep question, and it came up for me actually after the Truth Mandala, that um, it's when we speak that we run into problems, <laughs> because it's. I've been thinking about there must be wise listening as well as wise speaking, and um, so the the idea of going home and loving enough that it's okay that we disagree, and sharing my experience without needing to persuade anyone is just a huge um, way forward. So I'm grateful. Go off on more tangents. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Listening to Um, about your architecture struggles in the real world, Um, makes me just want to say how important it is that we go about this from the inside as well as from the outside. And as one who makes periodic forays into the corporate world, into the bowels of the corporate world, um, it is a very lonely place. And it's a very difficult tightrope to walk, to stay true to one's integrity and ideals, and also to be able to stay in the game. Um, and I uh, just recently left my, my most recent um, sentence in the corporate world and um, am on somewhat of a sabbatical but uh, it was with great ambivalence that I left, and I actually met with the CEO of the company the last day I was there, and I told him that and said, you know, I have a lot of ambivalence about leaving. I, I love the families I work with. I was an administrator of an assisted living facility for a large organization, and um, I said I love the the staff and the families and the relatives, but in this Environment, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my humanity. And um, I felt like I was abandoning all of these people who um, still call me and beg me to come back, um, which just pulls at my heart because I felt like I was really living who I was and bringing them something. You know, when we talk about AT&T and all that, I agree, AT&T makes me have seizures. But um, but 90% of the people out there in the world are, are working so hard and making $10 an hour. And it's we almost... Um, I'm not a sensationalist, but it's almost like we've got this slave society of, of all these people who are making low wages, and a few who make a lot. But um, so when you're on the phone with AT and T, and you're on hold, and you're being passed to your fifteenth person, remember that there are there are people out there who really are trying to live with integrity and to treat people with respect and to bring some heart and compassion to what is very a very lonely and empty existence. You know, I sit in a room of 30 executives and it's just profoundly sad to just... I, I just look around the room and say, where have their souls gone? And the last day there, I met with the CEO. I also met with my immediate Uh supervisor. And all I could do was look at him and say, are you okay? You know, you have such a flat affect. I don't know how to communicate with you. Um... But it was safe enough to do that. I was leaving, you know. (laughs) But remember us, you know, and Michael, who works for the government, you know, because um, change can happen from within, but it's really, really hard, and I appreciate all of you holding the space and remembering when you're screaming corporate America that there's some of us, you know, Lonely. <laughs> Trying to be warriors on the inside. Thanks. So,
1: there are quite a few others that need to sp- that would like to speak, so, right. let's, so keep let's, it a, yeah. let's keep it a little uh, shorter.
7: Hi. Um, I just wanted to say how incredibly validating and inspiring this retreat was for me. Um, I did leave the corporate world about 15 years ago and changed careers to become an acupuncturist and herbalist, um, which I love. And, uh, but I still get plagued sometimes by the voices because I'm surrounded by them in the culture and from my family that um, I could be making more money. <laughs> I, um, I was in a situation where I was making good money and had uh, retirement and benefits and all that kind of stuff. Now I have no savings, no retirement, no, can't afford health care. Um, but I love what I do, and and I feel that it's right because it's natural. And before I was using nasty petrochemicals, I didn't like thinking about what they were doing to me, what they might be doing to the world. And this retreat just really helped to validate my path and what I'm doing for me and feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. And uh, And I had lots of other marvelous insights as well. But... And I wanted to also just share quickly that um, I'm sure many people have their own sanghas, but um, I am uh, participating in training, since Joanna mentioned it, that is called the um, Shambhala Warrior Training uh, through Shambhala centers. They didn't tell us that we were going to go into the government and dismantle the arms. Maybe they don't want to scare us yet. I'm not sure. But... But uh, I really love it. I think it's a wonderful training. Uh, there are centers all over the world, actually. I go to the one in Berkeley. But um, if that piques your interest at all, you might like it. You might not, but just wanted to mention it. You can look it up online. What's it called, Shambhala Warren? No,
1: it's well, the Shambhala. Um, there are Institute Shambhala in centers. In the tradition of Trungpa Rinpoche.
7: Right, exactly. Yeah. What's her name? name? What's my name? I'm Rhoda. Last name? Kleiman Hager.
1: (laughs) Okay, there are more hands up over here.
8: Well, I just want to say that uh, many years ago I heard some very wise wisdom uh, that if We don't like the news to go out and make some of our own. Well, (laughs) lately I have not liked the news, and uh, when I saw that there was a retreat this weekend with Joanna Macy and Wes Nisker and Yoga, uh, it was time to make some of my own news. And uh, I think all of us here, we spent this uh, very uh, auspicious week making news for ourselves and with each other. You know, the Passover leaving slavery to be... Freedom in culture as well as within ourselves. The rebirth of Easter, the celebration of Earth Day, uh, just so fortunate. And I just want to mention, too, that the walking with ancestors was just an amazing uh, exercise that was just very intense and very uh, heartfelt. And I know that uh, when I go home today, uh, I'm not going to open the newspaper. I'm not going to open my emails. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. And I just want to be with the spirit of today and this week. And I know on, tomorrow morning I will open the newspaper, and I will not like the news. Uh, but I know that what we learned this week and what we experienced and the inspiration and the hope and the, uh, the activities and just the, the, the spirit of this week, that we will be able to go out and make some of our news with each other and our communities. And just this last thing... Uh, I think it was Gertrude Stein that said, uh, I don't want to join a revolution if I can't dance.
1: Emma (laughs) Goldman.
8: Emma (laughs) Goldman, well, okay. Uh, But I do know that we can join the great turning, and we will dance.
4: Uh, I haven't spoken at all yet at this retreat, but I just wanted to say that I found the elm dance the most moving experience, and I think chiefly because it was without words, but it touched me very deeply.
0: That's a good lead. Joanna? Let's do it. Let's do the elm dance. We'll do the elm dance. We'll because we do have to leave here by 11 we have to uh, start cleaning the this hall so i hope uh, you're okay with that the rest of you who wanted to speak okay the, the word alternate. is to remember remember your your things at the altar and i i, I meant to say That was a beautiful altar that you created and uh, really, really moving. So thank you for that.
1: Could we just for a moment before we stir, let's just take a minute to be still. Feel the kind of silence we make together.
0: That was pure poetry, the kind of silence we make together. Mm -hmm. What a woman.